Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, where Christ is Lord and at least one of us believes fully in angels and demons. And um, Just one. Just one. Hopefully more than that. Hopefully more than that. And today we're actually going to be looking at that subject because we're going to be talking about a demonic shift which has happened here in our culture. And this is going to be a very serious conversation. But we're also hoping to try a whole new hermeneutic of joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, God really did create all the senses. So we're going to try to have a good time talking about all this. Because if you've got to confront evil, if you've got to be honest about the diabolical just subterfuge, the, the wicked sinister dimensions which are creeping into our world, you might as well have a good time, right? We should be having a good time in everything we do. Doesn't God want us to have a good time at least while we're in it? You, you do see when they're out in exile, when God is calling Moses out into the wilderness, at least have some manna and, you know, we'll go to the land of milk and honey. Sure, there will be some pretty big villains to fight, but at least there'll be some good things on the side. So oh, yeah. that's right. So thank you all for joining us today. We're going to be talking about a demonic shift. So when you look at our world right now, actually, I feel most of Christian, most of Christianity really has been in tune to some sort of shift which has happened in our culture over the last two years. Somehow, some way, we have seen really an anti-Christian movement happen in America. It first manifested in the appearance of, you know, atheism, agnosticism, all these conversations were happening. But those are really gone in the modern public discourse. And what really has happened in the last two years is whatever hand or claw from hell was reaching through the doorway really got a grasp and opened it up and everything seems like it's different. The whole paradigm of life feels different. And today we're going to talk about what this really means. So we're going to be discussing what it actually means for something to be demonic. We have three segments that we'll hopefully get through today. Again, some joy unspeakable, full of glory. Hoping to have some fun today. <laughs> we're going to be talking about the doctrines of demons as defined in 1 Timothy 4. It's really important for us to understand what this is. Then we're going to be talking about Hosea and Gomer. And that's probably going to be a mostly embarrassing conversation because we're going to be talking about a prophet marrying a prostitute. But I think that's actually the point of the story. I understand Hosea and Gomer so much more now because it is, it's is—it's an embarrassing thing. Like the whole thing is embarrassing. It's embarrassing for God, for us to be his creature made in his image. Like God is perpetually embarrassed by us. Like we do some really, really dumb stuff. So we're going to be talking about that in our second segment. And then in the third segment, we're going to get to the book of Acts chapter 16, where we're going to find out that that little girl who is possessed by a demon that the Bible actually gives us that demon's name, and there's a lot more to it. In fact, that girl is possessed by a Greek god. And I have no idea why in English we don't translate that name. We do find something like Legion being translated as the name Beelzebub. We see other demonic names being translated, but the one in Acts 16 is not. Just overwhelmingly ignored. We're going to talk about that in our third segment. So is everyone ready for this? Yep. Yep. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> Pastor Amanda, would you open up in prayer for us today as we begin? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and space that we may come and gather in uh, fellowship and talk more about you and learn more about you. We pray as we get into this topic that it may not be a topic of fear or uh, worry, but it may be a topic in which we may be strengthened and encouraged, that we may face the fears and worries of this world. Give your people peace, we pray. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, so first things first, we're going to be going to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and we're going to be particularly looking at verse 2, because in that you find the doctrines of demons. Now, in our world, people might say, oh, yeah, that's demonic, or maybe there's a demonic influence. 
And we need to actually put a finer point on what that means. Hmm. It, it's actually really important for us, too, because there are two ways that demonic influences can gain power over us. One is you become so obsessed, obsessed with them, you kind of look in the void and suddenly it takes possession of you and you become a monster. Another way is that you ignore it and you dismiss the threat that it actually has in the real world. And for a while, we here in the church, we have been a little dismissive about the reality of evil. We live in a world where everything is so luxurious that we have been blinded to deception. You know, one of the things which is certainly true about modern Western civilization, modern America, is that everything is really consumeristic in how it operates. Not just material items either, but also how we gather information, how we collect friends. I can get online and I can be friends with who I want to be friends with. Mm -hmm. And if I don't like somebody, I can either unblock them, I can cut them off, I can block their phone number. I only have to deal with the people I want to deal with. I only have to listen to the ideas I want to listen to. And... Even when it comes down to how we structure churches, you know, I only want to deal with kids my age, so we set us off in this group. I only want to go to the Sunday school class that, you know, reads this translation, so we do that. And everything is very much selected at our fingertips, exactly how we want it to be. And this has kind of trained our brains. It's opened up a pathway, a heuristic, if you want to know the kind of technical term for this. It's opened up in our psychology a heuristic, a pathway that says... I only interact with the things that I consent to be interacting with. And in life, we always get really angry about interacting with things that we didn't choose to interact with. Like, oh, I didn't ask for this problem. You know, this is ultimately the classic line, Adam throws at God in Paradise Lost. Like, did I request thee, maker, from my clay to mold me man? Like, I didn't ask to be here. Do what I want. Well, when it comes to deception... And you take this broken pathway in our brain, this broken heuristic that says, I only deal with the things I want to deal with. We think that we only have to face deception if we choose to face deception. You know, a lot of people will say, I don't want to watch horror movies because I don't want to open myself up to it. And there is some truth to that. I'm not going to totally beat up on that, but just kind of using it as an example. That logic basically is, if I ignore it, if I don't ever go over there, then it's not going to come over here and bother me. No, 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 it is. Mm. We have been forced into an arena of deception here in modern America. And I just said the word arena with a huge southern drawl. I think I even put an R on the end of it saying arena. Um, <laughs> I am from Tennessee, folks. It happens to the best of us. It it's happens. Okay. <laughs> yes, I am from Tennessee. Amanda is not from Tennessee, but very close. North Carolina, close North enough, Carolina. which yeah. I think I just added an extra syllable in that word. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're here to add the extra syllables, the diphthongs. Pastor Mike, you got any southern words to say for us? Arena. I think all my words are Southern. All your words are Southern? Well, yeah. Some of us are better than others. <laughs> We've been thrust into the arena of deception mm. without any choice in the matter. And in the modern day and age, it is hungry. This demonic shift which has happened in our culture, it, it puts us all in the place where deception knocked on your door. It opened it up. It threw its nasty little claws in there, and it's done run up in your house. You know, open up your, your Bibles, go to Jude 1. Certain intruders have stolen in among you to pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness. Um, the deception is here, folks. It's here in every possible way. It's here to confuse people, to confuse young people, to rob them of meaning. And we didn't have a choice in whether or not deception was there. It wasn't another, I go to church with the people I want to go to church with. I go shop at the store I want to go to shop with. You know, I hate Burger King. So I'm not going to eat Burger King. One like that. Deception is here. And 
In our flawed logic, we think that because we didn't choose deception that somehow we can easily escape it. And we also think that if deception requires our consent, well then there's no rational reason you would go along with deception. You look at something like Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, you know, no rational person would do that. Well, like, hey, hey, yeah, they did. In fact, the Bible only shows three men of Israel standing up against it, three. And Israel had a pretty big population. There's a lot of Israelites running around. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons to go along with it. Like when you look in the garden with Eve and the serpent, you know, she can sound safe. She can sound prudent. She can sound like the model citizen, like she's some exemplary woman of good character by saying, hey, fruit is good for food. You know, I'm here to have a healthy diet. You know, I'm going to be the one who diets and exercises. I'm only eating fruit. And go over there and eat that apple and boom, curse. All your, your generation's cursed. Deception gives you a good excuse to go along with it. And it's going to say, make you sound smart. It's going to make you sound reasonable. It's going to make you sound like the cool kid that everybody wants to be. Deception is a very powerful thing. We often believe that because evil opposes reason, that deception will not appear reasonable. But that is not the case. And I want to say that again because I feel like it's a, a nicely stated line. Because evil opposes reason, that its deception will not appear reasonable. That is not the case. Deception does appear reasonable. It sounds safe, prudent, exemplary, good standing, good upstanding character. You know, many leaders here in the church have conjured up this magic rule that says because the faith, the Christian faith isn't going to take a political stand, we're not going to wade into those waters, then somehow the political waters will not come and infect our churches. That's not true. We're going to have to deal with it. And inch by inch, we've handed over our culture all the meaningful elements of life, you know, what it means to be alive, what it means to to even be, you know, how, how a man and woman relate to one another. You know, we, we don't talk a lot about how what actually healthy adult relationships look like. We don't talk about what it really means to honor your father and mother and how that affects, like, your development. We have given over all of these elements of life to the political arena, and the political arena has now become our public sphere. Everything is filtered through politics, and it's it's ridiculous. And now the church is at a place where, in an attempt to avoid political conversations, we've avoided really all meaningful conversations. And today, I want us to begin by going to 1 Timothy 4 and actually learning what it means for demonic influence to happen. Because sometimes it's demonic manipulation. Sometimes it's just people agreeing with demons. And I know I've given this really long opening monologue, which has been entirely extemporaneous. So, Pastor Mike, Pastor Amanda, y'all respond to this opening monologue just real quick. Any any thoughts, questions that have hit you? And then we're going to jump into 1 Timothy 4 and do a little bit of word study. Well, you know, I think, obviously, there's a couple of things, you know, with what you're saying about where things are going in a, in a society. I think it is uh, Chesterton who, who talks about... Um, uh, with the Father Brown series and things that he that he wrote, with a very good line in there that uh, when he's asked, you know, uh, do you know about evil things? And he, yeah, uh, I have to know because that is the opponent. Uh, I I know you used the word arena earlier, but just like a football game, you have to you have to know what the tactics are of the opponent. And let's just be honest, uh, I, I do believe in angels and demons, but there is spiritual warfare that is taking place. And if right. if we do not believe in evil, if we deconstruct uh, the, you know, the things that have been deconstructed and, and, 
And, you know, I think I, to quote someone else, it was C.S. Lewis it, uh, in the screw tape letters where, you know, uh, it, it's, it, we can just get them to believe we don't exist. Right. And so, you know, there's this whole understanding that we, if we don't acknowledge the dangers of evil, then we not just lose that that healthy conversation that you that you were talking about, but it's also morality right. and ethics just right. go completely out the window. Right. And so I think we've got to get back to um, you know studying God as a means of transformation and and healthy and whole creature in love. But we also have to understand that there is evil out there right. and we are under attack. Sure. Mm. Well, and I, I think as you're talking about it, Ryan reminded me of a definition I heard of um, uh, confession or repentance, I believe it was. And, and uh, I think I heard it from Dr. Green, a professor at Treveca, but I think he was quoting somebody else, and I don't recall. But they said, uh, repentance is looking at God, looking at ourselves, and proclaiming the difference. And I've added on then asking God to transform us uh, back into the image of God we were created to be. Because uh, I think the first part is only confession. You have to have the second part for it to really be repentance. But anyways, I think that's kind of like what we're talking about with evil, is we... We're not consumed by evil, but nor are we ignoring it. Right. But it is all put in the light of who God is. Right. And that's, I think, as we talk about this and as we get into things like uh, hypocrisy and lies and, and things like that, when we look at this passage, where we're going with all this is we're not looking at evil either as kind of like a novel thing, like, oh, isn't this interesting to study? No, it's, it's a real thing. But nor are we looking at it in the sense of... Uh, being it consuming our lives right. and so that's that's where I, I think that idea of confession and repentance is necessary even if we're not confessing something personal like today i said five lies um it not that kind of confession but the confession of the brokenness of the reality of our world right and it's all put into light of who god is it, otherwise we're not really confessing we're more like tattletelling on, on ourselves or on the yeah. world so. Yeah, yeah, snitches get stitches. Um, <laughs> let it be said here from the pulpit that is Kingdom of the Lagos. And to the point, we're not going to let this consume us. You out there in the audience, that's why we're going to have fun. Right. We're going to have fun talking about this, but it's also extremely serious. This is hell from the nether gloom beneath all worlds. Okay, First Timothy chapter 4, we need to define what is demonic. Because it's, it's with us in our culture now and becoming increasingly prevalent. There's no shortage of videos of people literally weeping, gnashing of teeth, not being able to be subdued, like small adult women not being able to be subdued by grown men, just doing all the things you characteristically see of demons. You see the stuff happen, and whether it be in protest, whether it be in people just getting upset in stores, like the videos of stuff like this that crop up are in a great abundance. So let's define what it actually is, because a lot of times people will be dismissive of it and say, oh, well, you know, She's not possessed or, you know, he, he didn't wake up this morning and go kiss an altar of Satan. Let's actually define what it is and let's use the Bible to do that, right? So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first verse says as follows, and I've got my PowerPoint here. We can pull this up. It's verse 2. We want verse 1. Here we go. It says, now the Spirit has spoken expressly. In other words, the Holy Spirit has told us with full assurance that in the latter times, some will Depart from the faith, 
Now the Greek word we get here is apostatize. They will willfully, knowingly, wantingly, they will walk away from the faith. And I said wantingly, I'm gonna use the word wantonly there. Hmm. They're going to do this on purpose. It's not an accident. People walking away from the faith, then how do they do it? Well, giving heed to seductive spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, this is giving an ear to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Paul writes about this in 1 Timothy 4. Now, going over to verse 2, you actually get the doctrines of demons defined. Speaking in lies, in hypocrisy, having not their conscience, or excuse me, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And going on to read verse 3 as well, just so that we have this full definition. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them who believe and know the truth. Now, going back to verse 2 for a second, we're actually in our study going to get over and look a little bit at the Greek language. Because the two words I want us to focus on are lies and hypocrisy. Because throughout Scripture, we actually get a lot of language about deception and about bearing false witness. But the language used here is very specific, and it's one that we all need to understand. Because if we're going to define something as being demonic, manipulated by demons, or it's just the doctrines of demons, in other words, this is demonic thought, this is the thought of an angel that has openly rebelled against God and chose to be a monster rather than a celestial heavenly being, to understand this level of deviancy, this level of God-hating, we need to understand, well, first of all, how the Bible has defined it so that we can actually point out things which are demonic. Well, the first two things Paul puts in here is speaking of lies and hypocrisy. Now, I've got my mouse here on the slideshow, but even if you're just listening to this, you'll be able to find it as well. Well, I thought I did. I thought it was showing the cursor. Maybe. There we go. All right, so the first word I want us to talk about is pseudo-logos, which you can see here in the slide. Now, pseudo-logos, it appears as pseudo-logon here. Logos is the root word here, and logos simply means word, means order. Um, Christ is the logos. Pseudo means fake. So what we have here is not your typical bearing false witness. It's a fake lie. It's a fake truth. It is, when I say fake lie, I'm kind of using those with a comma in between them. Um, forgive my, my southernness here. It is something which is imitating the truth. It is imitating reality. It is an untruth. And we have to understand that in our world, life is very much like a series of light sockets. And in life, we, we have a lot of different urges and we need something to plug into each of those sockets. For instance, the world is designed actually to be religious. As creatures, we're designed to be religious. We're always looking for something to serve, something to give us morality. And evil knows that the best way to really destroy the church isn't to just unscrew the light bulb from that socket because eventually something's got to go in there and we'll find something to shove in the God-shaped hole. Mm. Whether it's a square going in the round hole, a triangle, we'll find something to put in the God-shaped hole. Now, hell knows the best thing to do is to put a corrupted light bulb in there. When that puts off maybe a little bit different color light, it's consuming too much power, whatever it may be that corrupts it, but it's a corrupted version of the bulb. You know, it's controlled opposition. 
anybody who is wanting to go learn about Jesus, they have this impulse, they'll go to the church, and rather than hearing the gospel, they'll hear some corrupt version of it, and their desire to hear the truth will be spoiled. Well, that's what this word pseudo-logos means. It's fake truths, and you find this in all areas of our life. I hate to say this, but really, our mainstream narratives, our mainstream public sphere is basically filled with untruths. Almost every major story we've heard come out in the last several years, the first version of it has, has not just been erroneously wrong in the facts that it presents, but the conclusions drawn from it are oftentimes exactly opposite of what's going on. We really are seeing a massive amount of propaganda in our world. And this is untruth. Untruth are things which try to satisfy that whole, that try to come in and give you the answer. Like you wanted to hear the gospel. This is Marcin of Sinope. Let me give you a edited Bible. That way your urge for the Bible has been satisfied, but you're securely on the path of hell because you haven't been given the right thing. That is one of the first things that we find here in this list, the pseudo-logos. And I've talked about that for a while. I'll kind of open things up. I don't want to be the only one who speaks here. Um, but I do want us to understand the power of this word. Pseudo-logos is essential to demonic activity. Essential to it. Pastor Mike? Well, you know, also the word um, pseudo-logos is, is also a false logic, a false reasoning, a false word, just as you said. And so um, we're starting to see that. In, in other words, it brings chaos. And, um, you know, and, and what do we compare that to? We have the true reasoning of God's reason that is laid out before us in the Holy Scriptures. And when we get away from that, uh, what we start seeing is chaos being brought in and many things under attack. Um, and so we'll see, uh, you know, demonic activity often attacking the family. Uh, I think as we, you and I were watching a movie the other night, we we noticed uh, a, a line uh, in the Conjuring, there by, the Conjuring, conjuring yeah, um, with uh, uh, Ed uh, Warren. Ed Warren. When he's, and of course, this is Hollywood, obviously, but it was a good line. It said uh, the little girl was asking, you know, some questions about it, and said, you know, it don't seem fair for you know this presence to attack us and he said well especially when people are down and he said it, yeah, yeah. it is it's unfair yeah. that that it does want to kick somebody when they're down and so we often see that and so well, just know, to, to clarify that point mm -hmm. um the family was divorced and ed warren came in and he was asking about their family and you know asking where the dad was and the mom said you know he he had twins with the woman around the corner and you know, the family was talking about how dad's not coming home. And he said, yeah, evil likes to kick you when you're down. And the little girl was like, that's not fair. And he's like, no, it isn't. And that, that is true. Well, we, not and it's important in this conversation of deception and untruth because evil will take advantage of real suffering to work its deception. Mm -hmm. Trojan horses are most effective when they are based on real crises. Crises. Yeah. There's a real problem. Again, going back to my illustration of the like row of light bulb sockets, there's a real problem. There's a problem. There's a problem in the world. Maybe it's maybe it's a virus, health related. Maybe it's it's whatever it is. You've got a problem. The best opportunity evil has is in those moments where there's a problem, just to have your corrupted light bulb and put it into place. Because people are hungry to have that light bulb filled. They're hungry for a solution. 
all you've got to do is, is lay in there a deceptive evil solution, and it's malevolent. It is, it is. so malevolent. And, and I think that's where I was trying to go to is the fact that, you know, things are not like they should be. Mm-hmm. And then so there is a, a, an element of chaos that's trying to break in and attack, you know, the family. And then all of a sudden you see evil really coming from all areas just trying to, to like you said, replace the hope found in Christ Jesus with a false hope. Right. And so when we look at this, these are false hopes, these are false um, you know, or half-truths. Maybe there's a little bit of truth, but then there's a whole lot of undermining uh, against the, the very nature that God sure. has in store for us. Yeah, and you're, you're exactly onto something. Ultimately, this is about replacing the real hope and leaving people in a place that is miserable mm-hmm. and selling them hope that doesn't actually ring true. It doesn't ring true at the end of the day. Pastor Minna? Well, I think that's something that is very prevalent in our culture has been in its own way identifying for a long time. I think it's a common theme in like sci-fi uh, movies, this idea that uh, you will never conquer people by becoming the conquering force. Like you're not going to roll in like the Nazis and conquer Germany or not Germany, uh, but conquer Europe because the rest of Europe stands up and rebels against you. Right. So what is the tactic? And this is where you get kind of Cold War and the spies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you see this the, these themes reflected, I think, particularly in sci-fi shows where there's this like subtle manipulation that right. happens. It's still very logical. It is still very um, precise, but it's not as blatant. Right. And you were talking about the like the square peg in a round hole. What evil does instead of giving us a square peg or a rect or a, a triangle or a star peg, it gives us an oval, something close to a circle. Sure. Something sure. we think might just fit. But it's still not quite the right right fit and for what we want to do. And I think that's the and not to say that evil's not also obvious because we do have the Nazis trying to conquer uh, Europe and, and other versions of them in the modern world. And in a weird way, we actually need to be thankful when it's that obvious. It's it's heinous what it does, but at least it's when it's obvious, at least you can say, I'm glad I can see it. And and I think that's where a lot of people and cultures and as our world is becoming it's becoming easier to talk to people with different experiences around the world we're like okay like this is how our evil's presenting and not that there's multiple evils but there's there's evil but there's it just different shows incidents. itself in different ways yeah, yeah. And, and so that's what and we try to learn from one another but then we're like well but my evil doesn't look like yours what's going on like how is this happening but the benefit of it is maybe in this communication with one another if we can we can catch the obvious, the not obvious, the everything in between. But yeah, evil will try to present itself as logical. And, and to Mike's point about the hopelessness, when we look at evil and it's kind of logic, sometimes the reaction is then to abandon all logic. Right. Because we're right. like, well, evil looked good, so then nothing's good. Right. And this is that this false hope then leads to hopelessness because right, we've right. abandoned all hope. Um, ye who enter here. But it's this is just kind of, I think this is the, I don't want to say brilliance because it sounds like I'm giving too much credit to evil, but this is... The manipulation. Yeah, this is the manipulation of it. And this is where even like pastors have to be so, so careful because as we have done all that investigation and we have all this knowledge and we can like do all the twisty-turvy things that pastors have to do, um, and not manipulation, twisty-turvy. I mean, like, when we investigate and sift through things and we hear all these different theories and ideas and perceptions, and it can be so easy to just be like, well, this is all just messed up, and we just, you know, light it all on fire and walk away. Um, 
which happens quite quite a bit. Uh, and so that I think this is then what we have to identify, and this is the hard work of being a person of faith, is then to sift through and be like, what, where are the half truths? Where are the half lies? And where where do we find ourselves in the middle of this? And some things do have to be deconstructed, but we're never left with just a pile of ashes. Yeah. What then needs to be rebuilt right. or rediscovered? Right, right. And and that's the thing here. We have to we have to we're gonna have to wake up our ability and the church to confront evil. That that's something that is going to be necessary to revival, not just of like the small scale revival happening like in our personal lives. If we want the gospel to really spread and actually reach some of the lost people who have been given over to a lot of this evil, we're gonna have to learn to confront it. I think the best scripture to itemize our current moment and everything going on, whether it be just the corruption in every aspect of life, is actually Acts 13, where you have a man interested in the truth, Sergius Paulus, this is Acts chapter 13, he's a Roman proconsul, and he's basically every young kid, every young teenage boy or girl that's coming of age, they're interested in the truth, and where in the story of Acts, he summons for Paul, he summons a Christian apostle that he would hear the gospel, but a Jewish sorcerer named Elymas shows up. There's also a Jewish sorcerer named Bar-Jesus, but for simplicity purposes, you have these Jewish surfaces, Jewish sorcerers, almost called them serpentists, whatever. <laughs> yeah, same Jewish sorcerers show up, and they try to stop Sergius Paulus from hearing the gospel. Just like we have people in our culture who show up and try to stop kids these demonic influences that are untruth. We're going to get to hypocrisy here in a moment because that word may not totally mean what we think it means. Um, though I'm not beating up on what people already know of hypocrisy. That's true. I just want to add something to it. Mm. So they're untruths. They try to sell to young kids and it spoils their ability to have aspirations. Amanda, you talked about how we have to be careful in the church and so many times People, they'll kind of show up, they'll have their light sockets, and they'll be like, well, I tried to screw a light bulb in this once, but it kind of blew up on me, so I'm just going to throw away everything. I'm going to throw away the whole light board. Mm -hmm. That is how we tend to operate as people, and it's one of the reasons why hell likes to put in corrupt light bulbs, because if someone goes to a church that is flawed, that does have a false teacher, that's not really being true to the, to the Bible, whether they be active in heresy or just cowardly, then people will be spoiled when it comes to the truth. They won't want to go back. I mean, mm -hmm. why would you? Um, actually, in one of my videos that I had up earlier this year, there was somebody who was an out-and-out -out pagan who commented in one of the, the comments on YouTube and had talked about how, you know, our religion is bad, how they'd been a pagan and stuff like that, and it really had no meaning. And therefore, you know, Christianity has no meaning either. And it was it's a perfect example of how you got involved with a fake religion and now you think the real religion is also fake. It's how this all works. The things which the world told you would give you meaning and happiness didn't give you happiness. And so now you think there is no happiness. Mm. This is one of the ways that people are allowed to stay in depression. And I don't mean allowed to stay in depression like there's somebody, you know, coming along saying allowing that. But I mean like their own psyche keeps those heuristics, keeps those kind of depressed behaviors and things going in life because they they don't find the aspiration to even find that anymore. Like I don't I don't want to rise from this moment. That's not everyone's situation, but it is something which is prevalent in our society where fake truths, fake meaning, fake purpose, fake religions, fake beliefs have replaced real truth, 
and that has spoiled people's interest in the truth. All right, we got to roll. <laughs> we got to get over to hypocrisy real quick. So going back to our scripture right here, if I can pull it up. So here we've got the word hypocrisy. And when you look at the Greek word, hypocrisy, it looks almost exactly like modern English hypocrisy. But what does this word actually mean? What do we generally think of when we hear hypocrisy? Amanda, you want to give me a quick... Uh, saying one thing and doing another. Yeah. Does that sound about right, Pastor Mark? Yeah, you know... Words and actions of the, is, is not matching up within the same person. Okay, that's that's generally what we think of yeah. with hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And that totally means, that's, that's fine. The word can mean that. But the word also has another meaning. Mm-hmm. And that is simply insincerity. Mm-hmm. And you can even argue that that's not another meaning, but just a, another way of saying the same concept. But the reason why this is really important is because a lot of things come to us from an insincere premise. Like, oftentimes, people who lie, you look at the serpent in the garden. When he brings up the fact that the fruit is good for food, well, he doesn't totally bring that up himself. He, he kind of works that with Eve. He massages it out of her. That's the final argument made. He comes along and says, did God really say? Mm-hmm. And by the end of their conversation, Eve's mind's like, you know what? Fruit is good for food. I'm just going to eat that. The devil comes along and suggests to Eve that one, God did not really say what he said. And then also that you're just doing a dietary thing. It's, it's not actually about morality at all. It's not a spiritual matter. It's just about what you want to eat. It's no big deal. But it is insincere. It is actually hypocritical what the devil is saying there. And it's not because his words and actions are, are necessarily different or because he has different standards. It came from a place of insincere, of insincerity. The devil wasn't actually trying to find out if God really gave a commandment about the tree. Hmm. Listening to that at all, giving an ear to that, or as Paul says there in uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 here, going back over here on my, my screen, you know, people, they gave heed to seducing spirits. They gave an ear to it. You should not have given an ear to that. It was not honest. The devil really didn't want to know if that fruit was good for food. He really didn't want to know. He really didn't want to know if God gave that commandment. Hmm. You go to the book of Job. The devil really don't want to know if morality is real. When he comes along and says, hey, God, is Job really righteous? Or do you just give him all these kids and land and make him have a really good life? Is righteousness really good, God? The devil don't care. He's here to get Job to curse God and die. He's here to advance misery. In our modern world, I'm going to use another big word, epistemology. Epistemology is how do we know what we believe to be true to actually be true? How do we know that a chair is a chair? How do we know that a dog is a dog? How do we know that a chihuahua and a Great Dane are of the same species and the chihuahua is not really a cat in disguise? (laughs) Like, how do we know? Well, classically, we've tested the spirits as you find the biblical language. The whole scientific process, Rene Descartes, a great theologian, great man of faith, the man who originated the scientific method, he goes out. You know, this is what we do. We state the problem. We go out and we test it. That is the traditional epistemology found in the Bible. Again, God is not opposed to reason. Old and New Testament, Abraham, Sarah, get up. Go over there and find out if there's a lamb. Land. Mm-hmm. Um, Moses, go over there to Pharaoh. Try 
Try what I'm telling you. See what happens when your staff turns into a snake. See if it'll happen. You know, Jesus, even when he's born, go over there and see if there's a baby in a manger. Jesus, before going to the cross, go see if there's a colt over there that you can bring to me to ride. Even Jesus, after he's rose from the dead, reach out, see if there's a hole in my hand. God continually encourages us to go out and test things. Not to put our head in the sand, not to be like Pontius Pilate who wants to wash his hands and say, I really just don't want to know because I might be wrong. God actually calls us to step up to the plate and say, hey, Queen Esther, you were born for a time of this, a time such as this. Step up, step up. That's what God actually calls us to do. And when it comes to the doctrines of demons, we have to have a good epistemology. We are to test the spirits, not to take them at face value. And you know what? Some of them we don't need to listen to. Our modern epistemology, our modern method has not been to test the different spirits and see how they are, but just to collect them. Hmm. You know, there's a, a colloquial, it's really some sort of platitude that gets thrown around like diversity is our strength. You know, there's a lot of truth that it's good to, to gather different opinions and things, but guess what? A collection of opinions is not actually valuable in determining truth. If you've ever been to a job site, people who work with their hands might know this. You have a thousand different men on the job site who, who think they know how to pour the concrete. Okay, kids on the playground, we all think we know how to come up with a new game. Works out very badly because most of the time we're fallen creatures. We were born as fallen creatures in a fallen world. A lot of times our, our opinions are kind of trash. Um, they're kind of they're dumb most of the time. A lot of my opinions that are just from Jaden and Proctor are really dumb. That's why I go to Scripture and I preach from the Bible every day, not from my own perspective. And I, I do the best I can. Of course I have my own perspective. Of course I have my own opinions of things of that matter. But a good epistemology tests the spirits. Our modern one just says collect them. And it has value just because it might be different. And that's where you end up with professors like the one who was my advisor, who ended up doing sexually inappropriate, inappropriate things with a student. You know, he was teaching things that if you would have tested the spirits, he should have been fired for the merits of his teaching before the sexual misconduct happened. But our modern epistemology doesn't test the spirits, it collects the spirits. Just says, okay, let's get a bunch of different ideas. Never examine them, by the way. Nope. No debates. Pastor Mike. You know, I think uh, one of the things is, is kind of blends us in with the the previous uh, topic there you know all of us in this room we were we were trained in the historical critical method of bible study and preparing to preach and basically what that means is we go to the scripture and we start looking at the original language we look at the the original grammar of the of the original language we look at the history behind it we look at the uh, references of, uh, of you know, maybe echoes out of the uh, uh, another passage in Scripture that is brought there. We look at the time frame of what was happening in, in, the, in the culture. And with all of that being said, it's called deconstructing, so to speak, looking behind. And this is great, but then you have to put it back together. It's like disassembling a car and an engine. But if you don't bring it back together, you don't, you don't, you hadn't got anything but a mess, and 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 it's disorder. And so what what we have to realize that, especially as Pastor Amanda was talking about, when you deconstruct stuff, you got to put it back together. You just don't have a bunch of ashes. And so I think what we're seeing in a, in a lot of our society, especially with all these different opinions and everything that comes to the table, is that we're not constructing everything back like it should. And that's right. where the enemy tries to get in 
And uh, so, you know, God is being de- deconstructed and not put back together. We see not only that, but one or perhaps one element's not put back together. And that's what we start seeing when we when we don't understand that that demons and evil exist and it has to be at least from a a literary standpoint constructed back to understand that we can't leave this out of the equation that there is a real uh um you know evil force out there yes and we've got to get to this next segment (laughs) we're going to do these really quickly actually the last two segments because of time but for something to be demonic the two principal things Paul identifies is untruth, things pretending to be true, which are not. They mm-hmm. are untruths. They're the pseudologos, the mm-hmm. fake words. They're imitations. They're imitations of your church. They're imitations of everything in society, imitations of news, imitations of, you know, meaningful information, imitation of meaning, of happiness, all that stuff. You know, you can even throw pornography in there. It itself is a is a pseudologos. It's, it's fake. It's not, it's not real. Um, but nonetheless, it's destructive. It, it is a doctrine of demons. It's, it fits in that pseudologos. But then hypocrisy being the insincere. Mm-hmm. It didn't start from a place of sincerity. That perspective is meant to destroy. Don't entertain it. Don't listen to it. Throw it out. Okay. We're going to be back in just a second to talk about Hosea. And we're going to try to have a little bit of different take on this. Again, doing some fun stuff. We'll throw in some cardinal virtues as well. So we'll be back here in just a moment. All right, as we're coming back, discussing Demon's Day and what this really means, we have to understand, not only do we have to point out the demonic influence, but then we also have to stand against it. And I want us to go now, in this conversation, to the book of Hosea. Because this last year, I have learned something about this book that was lost on me in the past. We, we understand that the prophet Hosea is told by God to go out and marry a prostitute, and this is an illustration for how God is faithful to Israel. God is effectively married to Israel, even though they are unfaithful to him. They're basically a prostitute. But this last year, it's really hit me the personal side of this. Like, it's embarrassing to be married to a prostitute. It's, it's shameful. No one wants to do that. Men might be attracted to a prostitute, but they don't want their wives called one. Better yet, if somebody finds out, if it's a wife that finds out that her husband cheated on her, that's an embarrassing thing. Like you, you don't you don't want to go out and have to face your family and be like, this man's been lying to me for the last 10, 15 years. You know, it's a super embarrassing thing. It is embarrassing what happens here in the book of Hosea. And it's embarrassing for God. Like this grieves God. Well, what we're going to do with this and how this relates to our first conversation is the world wants us to believe, the demons wants a, want us to believe that desire has been an effective guide for fulfillment. In other words, pursue what you desire. The doctrines of demons, one of the untruths, one of the great insincere hypocrisies of hell is that your desire is a proper guide for fulfillment. And the book of Hosea is an entire repudiation of that. Oh, men out there, you think you want a prostitute? No, you don't. You know, even ladies, you think you want to to be able to break free and, 
you know, be Gomer who is faithful. Maybe, maybe not. We've got all these lines in the book of Hosea. You know, it's, it's all degeneracy on behalf of, of men and women throughout this whole book. Um, but yet God is faithful to them. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for everybody involved. The doctrines of demons want you to believe that that's actually how you find happiness. Like Hosea, go out there and find a prostitute. You'll have a good time. Or Gomer, go be a prostitute. That'll be fun. No. No, it doesn't. In our modern world, people have been sold a lot of things that will be fulfilling, which are really not. And what we're going to do for this segment is I'm going to read a passage from Hosea. And I want us to pick out which cardinal virtue is displayed in this passage and why. Mm-hmm. Does that sound fair? Mm-hmm. And now some of this is going to be trying. Some of this is going to be trying. And, you know, I'm here with my dad, with Pastor Amanda. Um, it can be an embarrassing thing to talk about stuff like this, but you know what? This whole book is about being embarrassed. It seems so embarrassing for God. So let's do it. Hosea chapter 1 Verses 2 and 3, it says, When the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. All right. This is a severe message. This is not nice. Again, this is embarrassing. You know, it's embarrassing to, to like, use the word whoredom from the pulpit. Like, not a lot of <laughs> pastors want to do that. We, we actually do need to talk about all this stuff. We need to talk about... Uh, the appropriate um, way that we we involve ourselves with one another and then the inappropriate ways. But this is straight up embarrassing. But yet this is God's word, a prophecy coming from God. So we know there is a good to it. What cardinal virtue being faith, hope, charity, prudence, temperance, justice, and uh, courage, what cardinal virtue do we see here and why? So just one of those. Just one. Pastor Amanda? I was going to go with faith on Hosea's part, but I think I'm going to go with courage instead because it is faith in action in the sense of, like you said, it's not just embarrassing like, oh, I accidentally said the wrong word or mispronounced something. This is deeply counter-cultural because like in that day for a man to have a wife and to have children meant to have legacy meant something that would live after him this was this was basically his afterlife is these generations and by marrying somebody who had who was a whore he cannot guarantee that those children are his children right. and so it's not just his life but his eternal life that now has been disrupted by this action by him marrying this person and having children with her and so he is being quite courageous by doing something that his society and even like God's law, Moses gave a provision for a divorce if, if someone was unfaithful in the marriage. Like he's even going against, quote unquote, the law in this, but he is trusting that God is bringing him to a better end. So I'm going to I'm going to say courage. And for that point, I'm going to go ahead and read verse three with that, where it says, and he went and took Gomer, daughter of Dimlim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So you see Hosea immediately do this. Mm-hmm. He doesn't pull a Jonah here. <laughs> He doesn't even pull a Moses who's a little bit, you know, reticent. No, he straight up does it. Yeah. He straight up does it. Uh, Pastor Mike, what cardinal virtue do you see and why? Well, I'm looking more at the bigger picture, and I'm taking, I guess, context uh, of this these two verses. But I'm also looking at, um, a, a from God's point of view, of really 
bringing a message to the people of Israel to return. And so there's so much pain that God experiences when we are not faithful. And for, um, you know, Hosea to, to experience this pain. So I'm going to go with the cardinal vir- uh, virtue of justice that you've you got to look deep here. And, and not that God wants us to, to suffer, but what really is happening, God wants Israel to come back. And so I, I may be a little bit in and beyond the scripture that you just read, but I'm looking at the everything in its uh, context, so to speak. Okay. All righty. Well, the next scripture we're going to read is out of Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. And in this it says, On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. We have a bad problem with daddy issues in society. And I know we have all the jokes and memes about that, but uh, there's a real problem with the absence of fatherhood and, and the influence of good fathers in our society. It's been around for a while and it's wreaked a lot of devastation. It's extremely sad. But when you look at the cosmic aspect we as a species we are a species of daddy issues um and in our case it's not actually because god the father has failed it's our problem because we have rejected god the father you know i use the illustration with one of the the young men here at church and i'll hold up my hand and i'll say hey leo come give me a high five and he'll run up from the pews and give me a high five whether i'm in the pulpit or in the sunday school classroom wherever God the Father has held out his hand for a high five. And we have been the degenerate, rebellious children who have sat in the pew and said, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. Hmm. I'm good, God. I don't, I don't want to come give you the high five. I don't want to come enjoy your land of milk and honey. Nah, I'm good. The daddy issues we have is on our end, on our fault. We rejected God. And if you watch the TV show Supernatural, it's basically a TV show of daddy issues. Um, but here... God calls out to the children and he says, we're supposed to have this covenant with one another where you will call me the husband and stop calling me Baal. Now, this one really fascinates me in the book of of Hosea that God says this. You will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. God's calling out Israel for treating God like one of the various idols and totems and demons that dwell among the land. Thoughts on this. What virtue do we see exemplified by God here and why? Or if you want to somehow say that people of Israel are being virtuous in this, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike. Well, I, I'm going to go with uh, charity or love because <clears throat> there is something so much greater. Um, there, there's a deep understanding of love here where God is actually moving from master and servant to really a a husband and uh, wife type relationship with the people of God. And so there is this tremendous amount of love. And in comparison with what um, Hosea and Gomer were experiencing in this unfaithfulness, um, you know, this this whole un, this deal of, uh, you know, adultery or, or just... Uh, all of this, you know, sin looks good and attractive and joyous for the first three weeks, and then it turns into really evil and demonic, like you said, and mm-hmm. uh, that we were talking about earlier. And it is no, by no means, any type of of 
true happiness that God really wants us to have. And that is within a husband and wife scenario, and we see God moving into that. So I'm going to go with uh, love and charity. Okay, okay. Pastor Amanda, what virtue do you see here exemplified? I'm trying to think uh, prudence or or temperance, and I think prudence in the sense of uh, in the long term, they the people of Israel will will test what is going on, and they will find that um, they will find God's faithfulness. Yeah, they they will. It, it may take them exile. It, it yeah. may take them wandering the desert. Um, it may take them crucifying Jesus, but they will they will see God. And so yeah. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go with prudence. You know, that, that's a really great take. I, I just want to pause here for a second because a lot of times we look at the prophets and some of it makes for beautiful poetry mm. like the book of ecclesiastes it's just hit me this year like how awesome it is i love it marinated i have seen the travail which god hath given over to the sons of adam to be exercised thereon let's let's bring ecclesiastes mm. now are we willing to walk in the travail mm. god has come along and this isn't just some fancy poetry on god's behalf god's going to stick with it Mm-hmm. They're going to find out about that faithfulness. This is prudence on God's part, and that is not easy, especially when you consider the illustration of this whole book comes from Hosea the prophet marrying Gomer the prostitute. Prudence in that situation ain't easy mm-hmm. for anybody. So that that's a really smart take, Amanda. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to it or just let it sit there because it's, it's really great. Yeah. My take on this really quickly is justice. Mm-hmm. Um God has come in and said, it's over. It's over. The proper order of things is not me being your bail. I know everybody likes to have cute names for one another. We like to do buddy-buddy. You know, God might call up another prophet in our day and age and, and say, stop stop giving me the, the like best friend. Like, stop writing the cheesy songs to me. Um, quit calling me Baal. I'm the God who made the heavens and the earth. Um, I brought the flood. <laughs> I will make all things new. Everything is going to melt away as everyone stands naked before me in judgment. Um, quit reducing me down to something small. Mm. Um, you do see the proper order of things being asserted here. And I think that's that's pretty pretty interesting. Uh, it's, it's crazy that God calls them out for not just them worshiping Baal, but then trying to pretend God is another Baal. That's crazy. Okay. In chapter 3, verse 1, The next verse we'll get, and then we'll wrap this up really quickly. It says, The Lord said to me again, Go love a woman who has a lover. In other words, a woman who already has a lover and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. The reason why I have this in here is their love of raisin cakes. Because if you are out there, and you think the raisin cookies are good, if you're one of those terrible people um, who eat raisin bran, the cereal, um, the Lord God himself, <laughs> the Lord God himself in the book of Hosea has had a little something to say about your choice in breakfast cereal. Um, and don't ever put the raisin cookies next to the chocolate chip cookies oh, no. because they look a lot alike, but it's very disappointing if you're, if you're a chocolate chip you know, let, let me have a point here. Last I week, I got a I got a chance to preach to some high school football players, and one of the teen moms came in and she brought them all these cookies. Some of them were raisin cookies, and 
you know, she was like, there'll be a few kids who want the raisin cookies. And she's right. Mm-hmm. There, There's a reason why God has to call out the raisin cakes. <laughs> Even God's looking down on, on the people and be like, some of you, some I'll, of you are just nasty. I'll like, admit to it. A good chewy raisin cookie see, can be better than a chocolate chip cookie. See, Amanda's is going to be the I'll, one who. I'll, 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 I'll. One of those few. I am one of those people. Um, I do love chocolate chip cookies. I'm not denying that. But, like, give me a chewy raisin cookie over a, a hard chocolate chip cookie. See, we, we always say in modern Christianity, you know, if if I were there and I was the only person on earth, I would put Jesus on the cross. Now you know, Amanda, what yep. it would have been over. It would have been over the raisin It would have been over the. Well, and also, like, raisin bread is just freaking fantastic. See? But, no, I, I think, yeah, the, this is the thing, though the raisin cookies or raisin bread or raisin cakes those those were i'd have to remember some more study but raisins grapes were costly pricely so this is this is not this is not reject cookies we're talking about here no these were expensive cookies this would be like um like pepperidge farm um milans or whatever they're called like these this is this is top-notch cookies that, that are cakes that you, you cannot get just regular, regularly. Well, that goes back to my story when I went to these, <laughs> these high school kids. So I watched all the kids come up and get cookies, and there were just enough cookies, and only one kid in the whole team picked up two. And the kid that picked up two, I promise y'all, dropped them, immediately picked up two. And it was an instant moment of divine judgment. You wanted to be greedy <laughs> and take two cookies. Now you drop them on the floor and get no, no cookies. cookies. You know, this is the thing, though. <laughs> if you mistakenly get the wrong cookie and you're expecting one thing and get the other, it, it there's mm-hmm. like a light bulb that goes off and pops immediately. It shatters, as you was talking about. It's like, this was not what I was expecting. Doesn't mean both of them are not good. But yeah, I, th- I do think I, I see the context of the scripture too, where it's it's talking about you you delight in in um, you know instant gratification. Sure. All right. So, what virtue do we see God displaying here, and why? Mm. Judgment. 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 Well, order. yes, justice. I think I think there is justice here in the sense he's calling them to to a different order, um, but this is I think love charity that that selfless giving of oneself because again this is not a small task that jose is doing this is not even a small task god is doing because this is costing god something greatly and oh, yeah. and you've yeah. talked about embarrassing this is not this is not just like god standing amongst all the the pantheon of all the other lesser gods god is giving up god's reputation yeah. power glory yeah. authority yeah in this is like i said i was going to be faithful i'm going to be faithful and even when it takes something from me and hurts me and it, it god can be hurt and this is the amazing thing i think of the story if we really understand a god who travels with god's people who is not just on the holy mountain god allows god's self to be vulnerable and yeah. hurt and and in in ways that should confound us and grieve us and I think that's why God calls Hosea because he's like, do you do you feel this pain, this heartache, this this hunger to be loved and completely slapped in the face? This is what I am feeling, sure. and so this is this is charity at its best. Yeah, and back to your point about the reputation, man, it it makes your reputation look bad. This is an embarrassing thing, Pastor Mike. I think I'm going to go with temperance because uh, what what um, Hosea is asked to do here is just an extremely hard thing to do, and. And, um, you know, I think that is the process of 
uh, going through difficulties in our relationship um, with with God is it is we have to put that trust that faith in God but through difficult times it, we have to realize that we are fallen creatures and that we can't uh, forget that we are a fallen creature but sure. we are called back to God mm-hmm. in a powerful way and so I, I think we need to learn and grow from the situations and 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 the struggles and trials that we've had to come to love God stronger and better and 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 be closer and not to turn away uh, and so I, I'm gonna go with temperance yep mm. you know I think true temperance would be like we went to the buffet and had everything, and you chose raisin cakes. Um, you know, I was. But really I'll still gonna, sit beside you. <laughs> yeah, I'll still sit beside you. And, and for that and point, for that, purpose, for that purpose, I'm going to go with charity. Hmm. God had charity on them. They chose the raisin cakes, and God was still faithful to them. That is, if that is not charity, um, didn't. No greater love than this, but the, than the husband that is still faithful to his wife after raising cakes. Yeah, I think you can see Actually, no, so no, many no, no. here as well. Mm. I think you can see so many of the cardinal virtues mm. sure. just to try to pick one out. But you see them, you know, not just one being the only thing there, but you see many of them overlapping right. and feeding into, right. into this entire story. Mm. And, of course, the true John fifteen thirteen is no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. All right. We're right at time, but we're going to have a third really fast segment Okay. where we look at Acts chapter 16. It's a very interesting little detail, and if you've hung around for it, it's, it's worth your time. So we're going to be back right here in just a second. All right. Thank you for hanging around with us here at Kingdom of the Lagos, a program where we do believe in angels and demons, and we're going to have some fun while talking about them. So on that note, let's go to Acts chapter 16, because in that we find a really, really fascinating thing. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're going around through Philippi doing the good work. But something, something nefarious is at hand, for there is a little girl who has been possessed by a demon, and people are doing wicked things on top of that. So let's go and read this passage out of Acts chapter 16. And we're going to begin in, let's see here, let's begin, I don't want to read all the way down. We were originally going to do this and include the jailer, but we're not going to start there. We're just going to start in verse 16 and read a little bit further. So in Acts chapter 16, 16, it reads, Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us, kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, as I've read this right now, I've had pulled up on our screen a picture of Bible Hub's Greek-English interlinear Bible because there's something really fascinating about this. I read from the NIV, but regardless if you're reading NRSV, you know, King James, Mm -hmm. NIV, they always describe this as a spirit of divination, a spirit of fortune-telling, some sort of oracle thing, 
But in the Greek language, it doesn't have that. It actually has the demon's name. And it's a capital name, like this is a proper noun. She has the spirit Python possessing her. Python, that's its name. And in fact, if you want a picture of it, there it is, Python. This is not some ambiguous unknown spirit among those unclean brood, but in fact is one that is among the Greek gods. This is actually one that was worshipped and served. So the Greek deity, Python, he is the son of Gaia, who's kind of similar to a Mother Earth figure. And he was believed to live deep within the earth. He was very popular there in the region of Delphi, which is not too far from where they're at in Philippi. It's still within the same general region there in Macedonia. And this creature here, or demon, not really a creature, um, well, kind of fallen creature, demon, evil, wicked thing, whatever. Python is known for oracle and fortune telling. Like he's the name brand oracle. This isn't just somebody who has their little soothsaying shop or card reading. They don't just have their tarot cards on the corner and you can believe them if you want to. This girl is possessed by like the Coca-Cola of fortune telling demons. And if you were there in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, you know, this is not your, your Sam's Cola. This is not your Dr. Perky version of Dr. Pepper. This is the real deal. She's got Python in her. Mm. You know, that's that's worth a lot of money. If you're going to go have your fortune told, you want to have somebody do a little, you know, divination on the side, mm. tell you what your crops are going to be this year, you know, whether or not you're going to have a good time with your family. You want to go see Python. And this girl has the demon Python 